Now, Talk Real Estate, sponsored by Boston Connect Real Estate Services. Hi, I'm Shara McNamara, and you are listening to Talk Real Estate. Let me share a little bit about my background before we get started. I am the broker owner of Boston Connect Real Estate, located on the South Shore, and I have been working as a full-time realtor and sales and marketing consultant for home buyers and home sellers for the past 15 years. My unique approach to assisting my clients to the next chapter of their lives is driven by being a team player and by offering them continuous training, education, advising, and mentoring. Every week, I will be providing you with real estate topics ranging from home buyer and home seller advice, legal matters, insurance binders, flood insurance concerns, home inspection questions, environmental worries like radon, lead paint, and mold, mortgages and loan programs, staging tips and ideas, real estate contracts, market trends, home values, and more. It's a talk radio show, and you can follow along online. If you have any questions during the show, please call 781-837-4900. We'd love to talk real estate. If you missed any of our shows, you can listen on my podcast at talkrealestateradio.com. If you would like a one-on-one consultation with me regarding your home sale or your home purchase, you can connect with me anytime at bostonconnect.com or 781-826-8000. Now, sit back, relax, take good notes, and let's talk real estate. Hello to all my South Shore neighbors. This is Sharon McNamara. You are listening to Talk Real Estate with Sharon McNamara. Along with my team members, we have Melissa doing her thing here in the background, getting everything all set up on Facebook and all those great places where you can watch us live. We have some great guests with us tonight, so you're in for a good, good surprise tonight. Uh, We also have people Zooming in with us. So we have our other team member, Dustin Hughes, is uh, joining us from Boston. Hello there, Dustin. Hello. Dustin, I got to tell you, it really does look like you have a fake background there with all the plants. <laughs> you certainly have a green thumb for sure. So <laughs> it looks like the weather is nice in Boston. And weirdly, Lisa Cullity is not in studio today. She is doing her job to help us have some uh, social distancing. And I'm sure you have some great updates for us as well. Sure do. Right. Perfect. And I know Ken said that he was going to log in, so I'm not sure how familiar he is with Zoom in the way. Oh, very. Okay. He's a veteran with me. Okay. But he did have another Zoom, so he could be getting out of that and getting back in here. So. Okay. Perfect. So we'll have Ken McCormick, who is the acting chief of the fire department right now in Pembroke. So he's been with us. Lise, what is this, like our 11th week? Yeah, actually, we're, we could be at 12. No, I think this is 11. Next week will be 12. We'll be 12 weeks in. The record yeah. continues. so um yeah you've been with us every week and we've been talking about covid and yes this is a talk real estate radio show we did um a couple weeks ago took a little bit of a break from everything and we did talk real estate because uh there are a lot of impacts one of the things i've noticed is the impact on every single industry it doesn't matter who you are or what you are covid has had some type of a impact i hear lisa i mean i mean ben are you trying to get us ben all right. Thank you, Ben. <laughs> um, so it is one of the things where it doesn't matter what industry you pull out, it is going to affect everybody. Um, I was saying earlier to our two in-house guests, I'm not going to give away their names yet, um, that you know my daughter actually graduated from BU Law School this past weekend, and we didn't really have anything planned. We just thought, well, we'll just have a little cookout with us. And 
then I talked to her that morning and I could hear like the disappointment. It's like, can you imagine going four years at Notre Dame in Hingham so you could get into a good college? You go to Fairfield University, four years, you graduate top of your class. Then you go to three years at BU Law School, 25th percentile of your class. And then at the end of all that, all you dare to do is wear a funny looking hat and a robe with a big thing on the back, a big hood. So we did an impromptu, I think within three hours, we put together a graduation ceremony for us. So I gave my first commencement speech. I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> so and there's Mary. Mary is now home. She doesn't live too far from here. So she was here earlier when we had our guests. Uh, so Mary will be joining us as well. And we do have Lisa DeMilo standing by as well, Sharon. All right, perfect. So another regular every week is Lisa DeMilo from the WATV Traffic Center. She's going to let us know how the traffic is. And Lisa, I'm very curious, you know, 11 weeks ago, we asked you, hey, are you seeing the traffic lighten up? Are you starting to see it maybe pick up a little bit more, maybe with some summer people going down the Cape or maybe people starting to go back to work a little bit? Oh, absolutely, Sharon. Um, we're seeing a gradual increase in volume every week for the past couple of weeks. And I'm ben, noticing this her, week. So you know. Oh, you can't hear me? Okay. Well, we're seeing that gradual increase in traffic. And uh, this week, we actually saw some backups on the expressway southbound and, and on Route 3. So it is definitely picking up. The expressway is a nine-minute ride in either direction between Boston and Braintree. Route 3, no issues getting to the food stores right off the exits in Hingham, Hanover, or Pembroke. The Sagamore and the Bourne are both delay-free. Route 24 is a 16-minute ride either way between 93 and 495. This report is sponsored by Unbound.org. A girl in Kenya dreams of becoming a doctor. An elder in Guatemala dreams of being part of a community. Reach out and change their world, and it will change your own. Unbound.org. Traffic on the nines every morning. I'm Lisa DeMilo in the WATD Traffic Center. We now return to Talk Real Estate, sponsored by Boston Connect Real Estate Services on 95.9 WATD. I love all the applause. I think it has something to do with our guests that we have here tonight. So uh, we are back. You are listening to Talk Real Estate with Sharon McNamara and my team members. Again, I am Melissa Wallace here with me tonight. And we have all of our people joining us via Zoom. So you can see us live on Facebook as well. So tonight we have the honor again of having Mr. Tim Cruz with us. So thank you so much for being here again. You were here just a few weeks ago? Yes, I was. Nice yes. And so for people who don't know who he is, I can't imagine that that's actually a thing, but he is the Plymouth County um, DA, right? right? District right. Attorney, obviously. Um, and you were with us a couple of weeks ago, and I was looking at our agenda for tonight, and there are things on there. When you first came earlier, I was like, things that we're not thinking about. And this is what I was just saying about COVID. It's like it is taking a role in certain things that we're not even aware of. And then we also have this evening uh, with us for the first time, um, we have Mr. Joseph McDonald, who is the Plymouth County Sheriff. Is that, is, is, am I supposed to say the high sheriff or something? <laughs> the sheriff is just fine. Actually, Joe is just fine. Joe yeah. is just fine? Okay. We all just Joe. <laughs> just Joe. So you have no idea what you're in for tonight, Joe. So <laughs> just Joe. Um, so that's what we're going to do when we're out in the street now. From now on, we're going to say, yeah, well, our new friend, Just Joe. Yeah, we're like, oh, Joe was in the office. We were talking about it. Who's 
So, Mel, can you actually, um, one of the things is, is I don't think that we have the right microphone in for you. So I'm going to switch with you and take care of that. So you can do a little more introductions here. Okay, perfect. Okay, now I have, now everyone can hear me. Um, yes, yeah, so tonight we're going to be continuing on, um, you know, with our COVID update. And um, Tim, we actually, we got a lot of great um, feedback after our show with you a couple of weeks ago. Everyone was super interested. I know I was very interested <laughs> in, in the topics that we were talking about. And I, you know, we're going to be incorporating Joe into that continuation of what we were talking about, especially with the prisons and, and everything that's sort of going to be happening. And now that you know, uh, the governor made his announcement yesterday and we're starting to roll out into phase one, you know, we're, we're going to be talking about all that fun stuff, but we're going to have Josh Cutler joining us again. Um, he's been joining us for the past 11 weeks. Um, he's the Mass State Rep for um, for the sixth district, right? It's the sixth. Sixth um, district, yep. Sixth district. I can't, I'm like a tongue twister tonight. <laughs> you know, it's what she said. Um, so he'll be joining us um, around 6.30. Um, but but um, if you're listening to us, um, you know, on WATD on 95.9, okay, here's my microphone now. <laughs> um, you, we can, we're actually on uh, Facebook too. So if you want to go um, you to any of the Connect pages or you can go to Boston Connect Real Estate or the McNamara Broker team, um, you can watch us live via Zoom on there. But um, but yeah, so we, we sort of, we have a few minutes before Josh joins us. So um, we do have a list of things that, um, that we wanted to talk to you guys about. Let me just find it in my pile over here and I'll just continue to sing until I find it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm looking for. Voice. Did somebody steal it? Um, no, it's okay. <laughs> oh, you found your glasses. Perfect. Um, yeah. So, you know, we have a couple minutes before Josh joins us. So, what, where do we sort of want to start? Is there, have, have there been any sort of new developments in your everyday sort of tasks or, or what's going on here in Plymouth County um, since the last time you've been on the show? Um, you want to update any of our, any of our listeners of, of, you know, sort of what's going on? Sure. I mean, you know, thanks. Once again, thanks for having uh, myself here tonight. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, just getting the word out as to what we do and what's going on in this very unusual time mm -hmm. uh, that we're dealing with. So right now, the courts in Plymouth County remain closed, uh, and they will be until approximately June 1. As to how open they're going to be, we're really not sure. And our jury trials are pretty much been stopped until July 1. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm hopeful that they'll get up and running around that time yeah whether it actually will we're not sure because the court the courts still have to go through man we come in here you guys are disinfecting everything imagine mm -hmm. a building the size of either brockton plymouth we're here hingham and trying to keep that clean and also making sure that all the people that come mm -hmm. in are going to mm -hmm. be sanitary and that we're going to be able to keep some distance and mm -hmm. wear masks if appropriate which i believe will probably be happening when uh, public buildings are open again to the public uh, do they know what phase that is? I wasn't paying attention. Sorry, I was too concerned about what my hairdresser house. was going in. Yeah. <laughs> what phase my hairdresser was in was more important to me. Um, well, I, I, I think that, you know, right now, I don't think we're in phase per se. Mm -hmm. We've mm -hmm. been in, uh, we'll be getting our orders from the Supreme Judicial Court. They have mm -hmm. standing orders regarding which courts open, which courts close. And what we've been seeing over the last mm -hmm. you know, few weeks is, uh, like here in Plymouth County, Wareham was closed for a couple of days because they wanted to clean it because somebody had been in contact with somebody mm. who had COVID. And then Brockton was closed. Yeah. So it's been ongoing rotations. And when you look at the courthouse, you'll see 
uh, cleaning company. So they're cleaning mm-hmm. those places out, making sure that they can be sanitary so the people can be in a position where they do be safe. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that that's the hard thing too, because I was talking to somebody about um, schools, and he's one of the you know the head maintenance person at. Um, one of the schools locally and in Springtree school systems and think about what all the kids that you have there. And I said, what are your thoughts about kids going back to school? And I'm sure Lisa has some thoughts on that too. And he's like, I just don't know how we're going to control it because it would probably cost us about $200,000 to fully sanitize that place from top to bottom. You can't do that every day. It just, you couldn't, right. it's not cost effective. And he said, how do you control 700 children who are trained to charge at the bell every 45 minutes? <laughs> like they're just charging into the hallways. So even if they do staggered things, but that's how it is with the public. You know, you, let's face it. You're talking about courthouses. Is everybody that's walking through there sort of going to be honest? <laughs> I'm sure that they're there for things that they're not honest about. So there, you could have people who are sick. I mean, they'd probably have to temperature check and things. Well, absolutely. I wouldn't be surprised if something that happens. I know, like, in my office, my, my main office is across the street at Barclays Court. Yeah. And we just purchased the temperature handguns. Yeah. I was thinking, you think of my temperature today, to give everybody's temperature in the building. Yeah. It was, at the same time, was still, you know, people working remotely, uh, with social distancing. Uh-huh. Uh, but people come and get their files and they're leaving because they're trying not to have more than 10 in the building, even though it's a very, it's still 30,000 square feet. But, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. you, you just want to be, do what we're supposed to do, uh-huh. abide by the rules and regulations that are there and see where we're going to fall as we proceed uh-huh. right now. Uh-huh. And, you know, of course, this itself, the, the arrangements are still going on. There are hearings, but for the most part, the hearings still are uh, telephonic or video. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, they're doing our arrangements that way and also our bail reviews with the people who are trying to get out of jail who are being held right now. We can't wait to talk about that. Some of them are incredibly dangerous. Right now, they're with uh, Sheriff McDonald's, and in my opinion, that's where the most of them Mm. should stay. Can I ask ask just Joe a question? You 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 look you look such like a teddy bear to me. Is that okay for me to say (laughs) to the biggest guy, like the big cheese? You know what I mean? But like, you have a big job too. I mean, and that's one of the things, Tim, that I was talking to you. I was so impressed with you know, meeting you for the first time, obviously I've seen you in different places and, you know, your talks on just your passion for what you're doing and keeping people safe. It just gave me another level, um, you know, to, you know, make me proud that I did vote for you. Right. (laughs) So, um, but you know, I, I, both of you have such, you know, important, important jobs. And that's why with all this COVID, one of the things I'm really interested in talking to you about with is, and I'm going to call you Sheriff Joe for right now, uh, Sheriff McDonald, is the situation with everything that's going on in the prisons and people trying to let some of them come out. I know we have Josh actually joining us now, so that's going to be our little teaser, but I'm sure you sure. have a lot to jo- talk about with that type of stuff. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, yeah. perfect. Don't get me fired up. The Dorchester and me only <laughs> last so long. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, Josh is actually here. <laughs> Look at Lisa up there smiling <laughs> like she knows. <laughs> She's like, I've seen it. <laughs> so, um, But we do have uh, Josh Cutler. You want to introduce Josh for us? Well, I had the tongue twister earlier. I'm not going to be able to say his title. <laughs> pro, tip guy, pro tip, guys, just say Pembroke Dexbury Hansen. It's a lot easier. Pembroke Dexbury <laughs> Hansen. There you go. There's Josh Cutler. <laughs> He's our state rep. So before, I just have to tell everybody, Josh. So Josh has been a trooper. He's been with us every week. I say, you know, we get our little update on the hill up there. And he has this nice background. So I said to Melissa and Mary, I said, this week, I think that we should get like the Oval Office. 
and put that behind us. <laughs> so Josh is up in the Oval Office. So, I like it. I like yeah. well, you, you've upgraded your guests too. You have you have Tim and and Lisa and Joe and an all star cast. So I, I feel privileged to be part of this. Yes, and we're very happy to have you. And again, Josh, I mean, we can't thank you enough because people say to me every week that they love to tune in because. They do like getting that sort of personal update of what's happening locally yeah. rather than watching it on the national news or, you know, the bigger stuff with Boston. So can you tell us what, a couple of things happened this week, huh? The governor had something to say. <laughs> Did, yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, obviously, everyone probably has heard the news by now about uh, the reopening Massachusetts plan. Uh, I encourage folks who want to to review the whole document it's posted on online at mass.gov it's a pdf document you can download uh chock full of information i know everybody has questions about you know their particular business uh or where they work and what phase that might be in or possibly how could it be in a different phase <laughs> um that's been a lot of that's the funny. people are asking you if they can switch phases they have yeah, yeah. absolutely absolutely um to see like the gyms open up and, and well you know it's funny you said that actually i was i'm working with a couple um fitness trainers in our in our district here locally that you know they're sort of lumped in with gyms which obviously you know there's a concern about gyms obviously because there's a lot of people using equipment and so forth and that's set for phase three whereas personal training is, is more of a personal service that maybe doesn't belong in that bucket and so that was their argument and so we're trying to get that communicated to um the folks on the reopening. Well, and I think that that does make sense because personal trainers, when you do go to one, it's it's a one-on-one -on -one sort right. of session. So, I mean, I would. When do like massage therapists and things like that come into play? I believe that you know I have my handy dandy. Uh, I think that was phase two. two. Yes, phase two. I have a chart here, and I, the other thing I, <laughs> I, I would give advice, folks, is if you go to mass.gov, there's a uh, uh, reopening. When can my business reopen page? Mm -hmm. and it's yeah, we printed that out. Just okay. so we can figure out when I can get my nails done. <laughs> well, for me, for me, for the guys, it was the haircut. <laughs> yeah. So what are some of the um, other situations that are happening? Do you feel uh, like with the openings and everything overall, do you think it's been sort of, you know, positive and everybody, I know I had a big meeting today with all of our, you know, agents, letting them know what our policies are going to be. And Via Zoom, we didn't have everybody here. Mm -hmm. Nope. Yeah. We they set strict office policies mm -hmm. in place. That's good. Well, that's good. Yeah, I, you know, there's. I think there's a lot of, there's some anxiety, uh, I would say, some frustration, some relief, um, you know, as a combination of, of emotions. I, you know, and I hear from colleagues of mine that are adamant that we shouldn't reopen at all. And I also hear from colleagues of mine that think this is far too slow and we need to be more aggressive about reopening. And so, you know, it's, I'm sure Governor Baker's in a really tough spot. And, I, you know, I think he's, I genuinely think he's doing the best best making the best decisions he can. I know it's frustrating and there's probably little places here and there where we could certainly certainly nitpick. Um, but, you know, I think he's trying to do the best he can based on the data. And um, and that's what it comes back to. So, you know. Yeah. I think he obviously wants yeah. everybody to be safe. And I think that that's the top priority. And he's in a position that he's in because he does have to make those tough decisions. You know, it, he's not there. I hate to say it, to make friends, he's there to take care of us. And, you know, I, I mean, when I tell my daughter not to touch a hot stove when she was four, it was because I didn't want her to get hurt, you know? Right. Absolutely. No, and I, so I would just say, and I, you know, I don't want to, I want to give the other folks a chance to chime in, but for any, anybody who's a, you know, a worker or employee, employer, there are, you know, there's a portal on the mass.gov website now where you can submit um, feedback about, you know, whether it's maybe a place you work where you don't maybe feel like they're 
properly following the guidance, or maybe you're a small business and feel like you're put in the wrong phase and think you should be in a different phase. Uh, I can promise you they are listening to that and it is worth taking the time to submit your feedback. They, they, they have a whole process. I, I learned a little bit more about what was going on today. There were 78 different groups representing all different kinds of businesses that presented to the advisory panel. They had a consultant who was hired to go through every single comment and digest it and, and make a report that all the, the panel members could review. So, you know, those comments that people are submitting, you know, will reach the right folks and will have an impact. And so it is worth making the time to do that. And, um, and I would recommend and encourage anyone who who's, you know, has an, is happy or sad or anywhere in between mm -hmm. to take the time to, to, to share those comments. And too, I do think that it trickles down to the local level because I mean, not when you're making these decisions, it, it really does impact so many things. I know last week, Ken and Lisa and I were talking after the show and okay, so when that phase happens, when they're going to allow restaurants to have outside seating, all right, well, that's great for Lisa, how many was it? Are there like four or five that have it in Pembroke? Yeah, yeah, there's only a few businesses. There's a whole permitting process for any business in any town that wants to do outside seating. Um, there's zoning considerations, liquor considerations, um, and and suitability. Um, so there's only about ooh, 10, I can think of, that have properly permitted outdoor seating in Pembroke. And obviously, because of the density um, of 25%, that's going to be a little low. Um, for a lot of uh, business models. So they're going to want significantly more than that. And one of the ways that they can generate more safe um, seating is to, to have outdoor seating. So Pembroke is templating and we're 50% of the way there of what a fast track one-stop application to get um, additional temporary, very key word there, temporary outdoor seating um, available to those restaurants. And um, so they have a they have an opportunity to raise the to total number of people at their establishment to a point where, where it is profitable for them to be open and doing business and, and allow them to recover from this setback. When do the restaurants get to do that? Start So they'll start with outside seating and then they, they'll follow? Phase two is 25%. The, the fast track seating, it's, it, that's going to be town by town. Um, because every town has different zoning regs. Like I said, Pembroke, I've said it before and I'll say it again, I'm very lucky to work with people that are all very goal-orientated and like-minded um, and, and very much want our business communities to succeed. So there's been buy-in from every level of our government across the board to create this fast-track program for those restaurants that want to do some outdoor, and it doesn't have to be super fancy, picnic-style seating, um, I know some of them are going much more elaborate and that's wonderful for them. And for those that don't, they don't have to, it just has to be safe and sanitary. That's all we're asking. And um, they'll have that opportunity uh, within phase two to, to apply for our, our outdoor seating. Can I ask Josh, maybe you know the answer to this question too. So my younger daughter, Mackenzie, my younger, she's 24. So whatever, she's not really young anymore, but she's down at Clemson. Uh, so she works at uh, the university there. And she was talking to me the other day and I just found this odd, but I don't know if we are doing it or if we're going to do it. And she said that you can go, like if you were going to Longhorns, you could get your dinner and then you can get um, a margarita to go. And they put it in a to-go cup and like with a straw and then you drive off in it. So, all right, well, here we have the, 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 the people who are going to arrest you. Not I mean, in Massachusetts. You can get the mix, but you can't get the tequila. I know that. Yes. You can't cut, yeah, you, we, we did, you can do beer and wine. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we did, that was legislation that we passed. Uh, it seems like eons ago. It was only probably three or four weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
So that that was uh, that isn't in effect now for local restaurants with beer and wine, but I don't, I don't believe that extends to, to margaritas. Although, yeah, yeah. And you can't have open containers in the car. It, it's it's the open container that yeah oh, oh, exactly. Right. It has to be sealed. Everything right. that that sealed. leaves That's the premise correct. have to be sealed. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually the word. You should be talking. We have you have experts sitting next to you, Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I know. I know that these are the ones that are rescued after you guys make the rules. So I mean, they have to live with them. So they know better than we do sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, she she couldn't believe it. I mean, her job at um, Clemson is you know she's the associate director of drug and alcohol initiative and mental health awareness. So you know to have such a role at such a young age, you know she's 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 doing statistics on all this stuff, and she's like, and I cannot believe that you can now get in your car with a margarita. Um, so, yeah, we've been hearing a lot of different stories with different people, like on Fridays, having like, you know, drive by my house and you can come get a drink and all kinds of things like that. And people are pulling up to their driveways and driving off. Like, I don't think that's really safe, right? <laughs> that's a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, that's what Just Joe said. So. Um, so, Josh, what about, you know, how's everything going with the PPP loan, unemployment? Everything seemed to be just sort of trucking along with all that. Yeah, in fact, uh, so the, the P, uh, on the PPP, actually, I wanted to, to, to mention that because they believe it or not, there's still uh, talking about the payroll protection program. There is still funding available, mm-hmm. um, you know, for all the talk about running out and so forth. There is still funding available. And, uh, you know, of course, if you're a small business now that, you know, where some businesses are moving towards reopening, it, it may make sense for some businesses to look at that again. Uh, if you were totally shut and not having any income and not having any staff, it, it might not have been a good fit. But now that that's changing... It is something you might want to take a look at. So the PPP loans, which you go through your local lender for, still have funding. Uh, in terms of unemployment, that is, I would, you know, thankfully that has slowed down quite a bit, at least for our office. We were getting, you know, tons of inquiries and working with a lot of cases at once. And most of those, I would say almost, you know, the vast majority of those cases have been resolved and people are, you know, getting their benefits now. So mm-hmm. um, obviously you know, happy that everyone's on unemployment, but happy that they're, you know, at least getting it. Um, so that is that is slowed down. Um, for sure. What about the unemployment? So how how is that working? So I know that everybody's getting that additional $600. I guess one of the bigger concerns that I'm hearing from employers now that they are opening because they have the PPP loan is, you know, they have part-time employees that are, that, that are saying, hey, is there any way that you can pay me under the table because I make more money on unemployment than I actually make when I'm working. So is that something that you've been hearing about? So the, the P, specifically for the PPP loan, there is the SBA did come out with a, a ruling on that. If you have an employee who you know may be making more money temporarily, you know, on unemployment, which is maybe the case, then and they don't wish to come back, um, you can have as long as you document that and have them sign something saying they don't wish to come back at this time, you're covered, and then you can count their payroll towards your forgiveness. Oh, that's so, good. Yeah. So that was a, a ruling that the SBA came out with to, to handle just that precisely that situation. Um, does it end at a certain time? Like, you yeah, know, so the, the six hundred dollars is not forever. I, 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 the, the precise date is it's in July. I forget the exact day, but that's the um, through the pandemic, the Federal CARES Act funding. Um, there's talk in Congress about you know extending that. Um, I don't know if that will happen or not, but for right now, that that is a short term uh, extra source of money. So on the local level with the towns um, that you're dealing with, again, you're Hanson, Pembroke, and Duxbury. I'm sure this is a big time. I heard the two of you talking earlier, like budgets. You were working on budgets and things like that. How are things looking for the towns and, you know, what can we expect to happen? <laughs> See, Lisa, yeah, I mean, good. Yeah. Lisa, <laughs> I need better. Not good. <laughs> 
it, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, when it's and the sheriff and the district attorney can 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 attest to that it's it's a tough time, you know, partially because it's uncertainty. We really don't know, you know, have we hit the bottom yet? You know, are we, do we are we are we climbing back up or not? It's it's really hard to say right now. And we've talked about the different shapes of you know what what kind of recovery will this look like? Will it be you know the the V bounce back, the you know more gradual U, the the L or other shapes yeah. <laughs> we've talked about. So, you know, we really don't know yet. And until we have a better sense of that, it's hard to say. So what we're trying to do from the state point of view is to give, you know, our, our municipal officials and our, you know, our county and other state officials kind of the tools to, to help get us through this period uh, in terms of, you know, short-term budgeting, one-twelfth budgets, things yeah. like that. Um, we obviously have, you know, federal funds through the CARES Act that are, I mean, flowing through to uh, through the county and through the state. Uh -huh. that will help to um, you know fill the gap somewhat yeah. uh, but it's clear it's going to be a tough budget year we're, we're looking at somewhere around a five to six billion dollar shortfall from the state point of view hopefully mm -hmm. that will be made up partially by the federal government but you know mm -hmm. we can't always count on, count on that yeah and i know too i mean it's not just towns so i don't want to pick on you know i'm not picking on towns i'm just bringing it up but I also am noticing now I'm starting, I remember last week I had talked and Josh, there was something wrong with whatever happened last week. Sorry about that. But, you know, I'm starting to see smaller companies, uh, small mom and pop shop businesses. They're just not making it and their doors are already closed. And I'm seeing more and more of these commercial real estate signs pop up all over the place. But then today I was actually surprised to hear that, um, was it uh, UMass Amherst is furloughing all of, you know, their staff for five days. So everybody's trying to do whatever they can to sort of make up some of it. But I'm sort of worried about the universities come fall. I mean, I talked to my daughter about it and she just isn't even sure what's going to happen yet at Clemson. Yeah, no, my, my, my fiance's son is going to UMass Amherst. Uh, uh, he's, he's graduating right now. So, and that's, we we're just talking about this, this very issue. Um, uh -huh. Going to go off to a, an empty dorm or is he going to be doing remote classes? It's, it's, you know, yeah. Just so many things for us to watch. So maybe I'll have my daughter Mackenzie come on with us next week. I actually saw um, this morning something on the Today Show with uh, Notre Dame was on. And I guess their plan is to test everybody, you know, when they go to the school, but then not let them leave for Thanksgiving. Because they're what they're afraid of is if they can get everybody there and sort of have that in controlled environment, sort of like I would say herd environment there, right? Keeping all the students in one place. Then, if they go home for Thanksgiving, then they potentially are going to run into, you know, catching something and bringing it back to campus. So maybe not letting them leave at Thanksgiving and making them go through the end of the semester. And then they were, you know, talking to the high priest there, whoever he, what his name was. But mm -hmm. then, you know, you know what everybody wanted to know. The only question they cared about was, is there going to be football? So. Uh, Josh, if you could work on that and see when that, what phase is that? <laughs> I don't know. I, I think we should talk, ask the sheriff or the DA about that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, Josh, were there any other uh, points that you would like to bring up to our listeners here at WATD? Um, no, you know, uh, actually, oh, if I can, I'm a, a, a plug for, for a good event that we're doing on, on Thursday. It's a bit of a different topic than what we were just talking about, but I'm hosting a, a forum on disability workforce issues. Mm. Um, a lot of you know people who have disabilities in the workplace, a lot of issues that come up because of COVID that are specific to them, you know, in terms of like, you know, if you get a stimulus payment, does that mean you're going to lose some of your benefits because you, you may not qualify mm -hmm. still? Um, so we have some experts uh, from the Disability Law Center and some other groups that I'm having um, doing a special show on uh, this Thursday at 10:30. Where will that be aired? We have That's going to be on, on PAC TV streamed live, but it's actually also going to be rebroadcast on the Talking Information Center, which is obviously the sister station of WATD. 
Oh, all right. Perfect. Yeah. yeah, great. I definitely want to watch that. I didn't get to watch the last one that you had done. I had another appointment, but, um, and that's what I mean. That's just yet another thing that we have to be thinking about. And I would think, you know, I was actually talking to my sister-in-law and my father-in-law is 97 years old, World War II vet, and his birthday was last week. And um, we went, we can't visit him. No one can go near him. And she has a job in the summer. She works at the MDC down in Hull and at the beach. And she went to his doctor and said, well, I'm supposed to start my job on Monday. And he's like, absolutely, positively not. You are his primary caretaker right now. It's literally just her and her husband, my brother-in-law, taking care of him. So now she's going to, she can't go to work because of that. So I'm like, well, I hope you can get unemployment. Like, how would that work? Because she's sort of given up her position, but to take care of an elderly person. There's got to um, be there's got to be something that allots for that um, in the Unemployment Act. Like, if you cannot, I think for unemployment, it says if you cannot perform perform your job because of COVID-19, which essentially is the case for her, right? So she can't go to her normal workplace because she has somebody at home. That's that's correct. Acceptable. No, oh, look at that, Mary. So if things don't work out for you in real estate, you can always take <laughs> Cole's job, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, was that just directed towards Josh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, did I take the words right out of your mouth? Melissa said you guys couldn't hear me, so I needed to speak up. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> that's great. All right, so Josh, tell everybody again on WATD. So that is going to be Thursday at? Uh, Thursday at 1030, and it'll be streamed on PACTV, pactv.org slash live. All right, perfect. And you know what we should do, Josh, is maybe we can connect at some point too if somebody else is there with you. I don't know if Cole goes with you, but I could make him an admin on Pembroke Connect if you want to stream it live on Pembroke Connect as well. Okay. You know what? You can feel free to do that. And Hanson Connect and Duxbury Connect. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, can, that's a great idea. Put it idea. on Dorchester Connect if you want. I don't care where you uh, Yeah, it's statewide stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, Josh, thank you so much again. You're welcome to stay if you have any questions for the, our guests tonight or no, you know, you know, I, to do. We've got some great guests. Give some. Give them a chance to uh, to weigh in. So absolutely. <laughs> They're going to have a full whole hour of us drilling oh. them right now. <laughs> so, Do uh, you guys it. have any questions for him before Josh takes off? No, just did a great job. We're glad to see you. Glad to hear everything's going fine at the same house. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Thanks, Josh. Good to see you, Josh. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye, Josh. So we have just about 10 minutes until we take our 7 o'clock break, and then um, we just have to do some new stuff for WATV. It's just the way that it works. And we have... Um, a couple things what we'll do now. So I want to ask, maybe we'll ask you a couple of questions and maybe Lisa, do you have any question, questions for just Joe and Tim? If anyone's just calling in, listening right now, they're like, who is she talking just, to? Just shout out. It's a free for all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Lisa, do you have any questions for them or no? Um, I, I would only be curious with the the new state released staffing levels at 25%. Obviously, I understand the sheriff's department is essential and um, such like that. I'd just be curious as to their thoughts about implementation as they start to slowly bring back what wouldn't be considered 24-7 or completely essential staff, how they're planning on tackling that issue. Because I know we're having a lot of discussion at the town level uh, within town hall and trying to roll that back out. And it, it's proving challenging. Well, it is very challenging and, and perhaps even more so in a correctional setting. It's yeah. uh, it's clear that, you know, most of the employees that we do have are essential. Our security staff is absolutely essential. 
but when you think about, you know, it was funny, Sharon, when I heard I was coming on a real estate show, my first thought was, I wonder what relevance I would have on real estate. Show. <laughs> it's been but, nothing about real estate. Yeah, no, but it but it occurred to me that I do manage a very large, House. very exclusive gated community yeah. in the seaside town of Plymouth. So <laughs> maybe there's something I have to add. It's but, housing um, of some sort. Yeah, yeah. But, but we're like it's a town ourselves. So the way you know most of the services, food services are provided, you know, in house. Correctional settings are nothing like you see on on uh, in the movies. There's a lot of reality shows now that seem to depict it perhaps a bit more accurately, but the old stuff that you see, like the Shawshank Redemption and those things, that's the old style. That's um, uh, we limit movement. You know, the, uh, the all the services are brought to the inmates, and when you think about that, that's the food service, a lot of the counseling services that we have, a lot of the programming comes to the inmates they get books from the library there is some movement within the correctional facility but very little because we found historically that if there were going to be problems in a correctional facility they would be outside in the ball yard you know where everyone's doing lifting weights or playing ball or at the chow hall so most of that stuff is brought to the inmates in the unit at the what wall is at that the, where they chow eat? At the chow hall. Chow hall. Yeah. Chow hall where they eat. Yep. Oh, okay. I, didn't yep. know. I thought you said something about a wall. Nope. <laughs> well, we have plenty of those too. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it's it's very uh, it, it's it's different. It's modern, and it's a new. And I mentioned of the reality shows. If you have occasion, and I invite you uh, to come to tour it sometime, so you can see what it's all about down there. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that always strikes me as odd. Mm-hmm. is as I walk around, I look, we have community television sets. People don't have their own TV sets. Yeah. And it's I'm curious sometimes as to what people are watching. So I'll kind of give it a look. And I see that they watch a lot of reality shows about jails. Yeah, really? So, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Are they trying to get some tricks? <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't know. I want to go over and ask and say, well, how do we compare? Yeah. So what do you think? What's your experience like? Yeah. Well, you should say, well, things aren't so bad now. Are they? Yeah, right. How do you like me now? <laughs> but, but what we're doing, you know, our, our security staff has been pretty much intact as this whole process has gone on. But we have reduced very substantially our program staff. Uh, a lot of the uh, the volunteers have been completely excluded. And, uh, you know, certain things like prison ministry, a lot of our teachers, mm-hmm. uh, the AA uh, counselors that come down. So we've really struggled with some of that. And now we're going to come to grips with how do we start bringing them back in? And I think what we're going to do is we're going to rotate them. We're going to start that back very gradually, very slowly, mm-hmm. and uh, and see how it goes from there. The good news is the sheriffs as a group, there are 14 of us in the Commonwealth. We have been, we started off with conference calls every single day. Yeah, uh, We're down to two days a week now, but oh. we're getting a lot done and we're, you know, we're, we're coordinating a lot of our efforts. The, the, the challenging thing for us really has been the fact that we didn't have policies and procedures to cover a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, or if we did, you know, they dated to 1918. Mm-hmm. So we're kind of making policy as we go. And mm-hmm. the nice thing is we are able to do that together. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think it's worked out very well. That's one of the things that we've been saying over and over again. And it, it is sort of funny that you would come here for a real estate show. And we've just been really just concentrating on this because we really are just want to be part of the community and get, you know, get the information out that you're trying to get out mm-hmm. and everybody else is trying to get out. Um, and I know Ken McCormick, who is our deputy chief, he's actually our acting chief of the Pembroke Fire Department, has joined us now via Zoom. And uh, so everyone can see him on Facebook and everything, too. And all the equipment is working tonight. So it must be have something to do with him not being in the building. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I think we hit my wires. <laughs> we do um, miss you, though, Ken. We do miss you, Ken, for sure. Um, but I know, Ken, I know that that's some of the things that, you know, we were talking about before is, you know, with your staffing and the worry and concern of, you know, one of his guys ends up with, you know, in a situation where potentially they're near somebody who has it or potentially caught it. That's a that's a whole shift. So that has to be similar. Same, same for, for us. Exactly. Yeah. The, 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 the benefit, the advantage that we have is the contact tracing is very easy for us because everything is on video. Yeah, uh, yeah. So we're able, and you know, the, the great thing, and you know, knock on wood, mm -hmm. we, we really haven't had any cases of COVID within the correctional facility. Right. And I know there was a, a big hue and cry, release all the inmates, do it now. Mm -hmm. It's a cruise ship, it's a Petri, all this stuff. And I was concerned, but I didn't think that that was going to happen. We have, as we sit here today, we have two inmates who have tested positive. One of them has recovered. Mm -hmm. And the second one is in isolation. And that's where they, they didn't originate in the jail. They came to us with those infections. Yeah. And we have protocols now. We have negative pressure rooms. They're held in our medical unit. They're receiving medical care better than they would on the outside. So they're much safer there than they are on the outside. So to the people, the activists that think everyone should be released immediately, mm -hmm. clearly don't worry, people are doing well. Mm -hmm. uh, and yesterday, as I drove into my office, there was a, a not a large protest, but a group set up. They're all dressed in lab coats and scrubs, I think, presumably to be medical people. Yeah. And this big sign said, free them all. And I was tempted to stop and say, are you folks aware that we don't have COVID here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. But so they I, could get COVID when they're around yeah. you guys? Yeah. Or even worse, what's happening is a lot of these people that have been released are going out there getting the virus and then being sent back. Reoffended, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. being sent back. So I have a question. The two that have tested positive, they mm -hmm. came into the prison after the lockdown or when COVID? After the lockdown, okay. yeah. One, so one they of weren't them, already in the prison and got no. it somehow while they were No, they got it while they were outside mm -hmm. and, and brought it in. So and we're dealing with that. And we, mm -hmm. we put policies and procedures, all the sheriffs did, that we mm -hmm. are quarantining individuals that are coming into us for a period of time for the 14 days before mm -hmm. they're allowed to be reclassified and placed somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So anyone that shows symptoms, and we're also, a lot of the criticism we received, oh, you're not doing testing, that's why you're not getting positive results. The fact of the matter is we are and we have been. Uh -huh. we, we are testing according to CDC and DPH guidelines, which is anyone that's symptomatic. And then a lot of the activists are like, well, you should be testing everybody. And well, that would be a great luxury, but I'm not testing yeah. everybody in, in my hometown, you know, yeah. or, or yeah. at the supermarket. So it's just not feasible at, at this point in time. But I think we've done we've done pretty well. Um, but I'm not even sure, too, that maybe I'm sorry to interrupt, but if yeah. somebody came to you and just said, hey, um, I really do want to get tested. And, you know, maybe they could where even just if I wanted to get tested. I couldn't. You know what I mean? Maybe this, I feel like they would have a better chance of being tested because they'll. Yeah, you're, you're probably right about that because. The advantage they would have over you, Sharon, is they're willing to sometimes, you know, bend the truth a little bit. Yeah. You know, and describe. So anybody that describes symptoms is getting tested. Yeah. No question about that. Mm -hmm. And then we have a lot of staff people. We try to keep on top of that. But a lot of them are going to their own doctors and we don't necessarily know that mm -hmm. they are. Mm -hmm. But we've had so far three individuals, two caseworkers and one correctional officer who tested positive. And again, the contact tracing is easy. Yeah. And um, well, because everyone does, everyone have to sign in when you come in. Well, that's another interesting thing that we've done. We have actually our, our physical layout was conducive to this. 
we've constricted it to one entrance mm -hmm. and everyone that comes through is screened. If they don't know you or you're not an employee, they're gonna ask you questions, where you've traveled to, mm -hmm. any symptoms you're experiencing. And then as Tim said, those those uh, thermometers that can be some distance from you where we're taking everyone's temperature coming in. Who would, who would come in if they're, if, I'm assuming you can't have guests, you know? Yeah, no, visitors, no, the visitors, visitors are shut would, down. The, who um, who would be coming in that maybe, you know, somebody working there wouldn't recognize. And they're not getting edible arrangement deliveries, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> we have no, about one minute until our break, yeah. so. Yeah. Well, the short answer to that is we have a lot of people that come in. Oh, and then true. sometimes individuals yeah. will come in to perform repairs on, oh, yeah. on various systems within the correctional yes. facility. Ooh, that yeah. makes sense. And I remember, Tim, and we are coming up to the 7 o'clock, so if it gets short, that's just because of that. But just a couple of weeks ago, you had made that comment about people wanting to release the prisoners. And you made that comment, like, they have no place to go. So right. they just open the door, and then they're going to walk to where? The, where do you go? And then you end up on the street. Which is part of the, the overall, the, the bail programs, when the bail hearings are done, with people getting released. That's, what is your release plan? Where are you going to go? Mm -hmm. And what people should understand is that down to jail, Joe's numbers are incredibly low right now. We hear these myths of mass incarceration, they're back to the gills. Absolutely not true. Joe's facility, I mean, I'll let him tell, but it's, I think it's 1,240 is the capacity, and you're around 600 right now. Yeah. So people have the individual settles. They're, they're very safe, they're very secure. They do a tremendous job down there. I, I can't say enough good things about huh. the sheriff's department down there, all the men and women that work down there. They do a tremendous job. And people are safe down there as compared to being released and really being, for some of these men, being released you know, out of the fire, out of the frying pan of the fires. Mm -hmm. Well, when we come back from our break, we're definitely going to get uh, sort of down and dirty, I guess, with what's going on at the prisons and what's going on with you. I know we have a lot of programs that we want to talk about and a lot of great stuff coming from the district attorney's office and uh, from the sheriff's department. So uh, we're going to take this short break. And when we come back, we will have much more for you. We'll see you soon. ATD FM Marshfield, WMEX Quincy, WBMS Brockton, and Translator W266DA Brockton. The South Shore's first choice for live team coverage of breaking news, emergency traffic, and severe weather. WATD. Streaming online at 959WATD.com. And with your smart speaker, just by saying play WATD. AP News. I'm Jackie Quinn. The Associated Press has reviewed a recording in which Republican political operatives discuss recruiting pro-Trump doctors to go on TV to say it's okay to revive the U.S. economy without waiting for federal safety benchmarks. A progressive watchdog group provided the recording of that May 11th conference call with a senior staffer for the Trump re-election campaign. The president today refuted a study of veterans with COVID-19 who died or suffered ill effects from using the drug he's taking, hydroxychloroquine. They were uh, very old, almost dead. It was a a Trump enemy statement. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin was grilled on Capitol Hill about many small businesses unable to get loans from the government's $2 trillion relief package. Ohio Democrat Senator Sherrod Brown accused the administration of reopening businesses too quickly without protecting frontline workers. How many workers should give their lives to increase the GDP or the Dow Jones by a thousand points? 
You know, workers should give their lives to do that, Mr. Senator. And I think your characterization is unfair. We have provided enormous amounts of equipment. Another protest planned at the Michigan Capitol to protest the state's stay-at-home orders. Barbers will be cutting people's hair to protest that their shops are closed. In addition to COVID-19, Michigan's been hit with flooding, forcing evacuations in the Midland area. In Missouri, a small plane made an emergency landing on a highway near Kansas City. Witness Dave Oreck spoke to KMBC-TV. Road blocked off, and then I looked up the street and saw the plane in the middle of the highway. And since then, it's grown into quite the spectacle. So looks like everyone's all right, so that's a good thing. Stocks dropped today. The Dow down nearly 400 points. Canada and the U.S. agree to keep their borders closed another month because of the pandemic. This is AP News. Good evening. Quite a dry stretch heading toward and I expect right through the long Memorial Day weekend. Tonight will turn out chilly, fair, the breeze diminishing in the low 40s. Tomorrow, sunshine for the most part. Again, a cool breeze right along our coastal neighborhoods, not the penetrating ocean wind. And as you get inland of Route 3A, it'll reach into the mid-60s. Tomorrow night, clear, a little 40 to 45 in Boston. Thursday, a milder trend gets underway with high pressure shifting offshore. A good deal of strong May sunshine, the high 68. Friday will turn quite warm. Some sun near 80 degrees and then cooler with some cloudiness around going into the long weekend, though it looks like another real warm-up by the holiday. For W8TD, I'm meteorologist Rob Gilman. This is Mike McNamara. If you're looking for a financial advisor, start by asking him or her three questions. Number one, are you a certified financial planner practitioner? Number two, are you legally held to a fiduciary standard of care for your clients? And number three, do you only give financial advice and not sell investment products? These are all simple yes-no questions. If he or she doesn't answer yes quickly and starts talking, that's a no, and it's time to move on to another advisor. We now return to Talk Real Estate, sponsored by Boston Connect Real Estate Services on 95.9 WATD. And we are back. You are listening to Talk Real Estate Roundtable with Boston Connect Real Estate's broker team. My name is Melissa Wallace, and I'm here with my team members, Sharon McNamara, Mary Baker, and Dustin Hughes. And he is out of the And there he is. And there he is. Everyone's waiting there. And our team member, Dustin Hughes. And our team member, Dustin Hughes. And there's a green room over there. Um, if you want to listen to any of our past shows, you can go to talkrealestateroundtable.com. You can follow us on the podcast app or on iTunes, Spotify. Um, you can go to Instagram. We're at Austin County Real Estate. And you can find us anywhere. Yeah, you can Google our names so and you'll find us. With these two people in the room, it's like it's it's so easy to like find us. It's so you don't have yeah. to worry about us going anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so if you want to listen to any of our past shows, we had a really great show a couple of weeks ago with Tim Cruz. We got a lot of great feedback on that. Um, so we have him here again today. Um, the Plymouth County District Attorney, and then we also have the High Sheriff <laughs> of Plymouth County, um, Joe McDonald here. She's never going to stop. I'm never going to I'm so on high right now because I'm going to go to prison. I'm so loud. You're like screaming. You're so excited. <laughs> I'm going to go to prison and I'm going to take a tour. It's so great. 
I'm going to you prison. You understand the object is not to go to prison. <laughs> I, know. I know, but this is for educational purposes only. Okay. Yes. So um, we can fully understand what our guests are, you know, what they're living every day. Can we go also get into the courthouse? Uh, when, when it opens, opens. <laughs> when okay. um, well, I actually did have a question about that. So I know we sort of talked about it last time I asked you this question, but now we have both of you guys here. So I wanted to sort of um, let our listeners know who are listening tonight. So, okay, the courthouses are closed. Clearly, the prison people can still go to prison, uh, but you know, people are still committing crimes. What is now the process of, of you commit a crime, you get arrested, now what? There's no. Well, they're still uh, arresting the people that need to be arrested because although we're in the middle of a pandemic, uh, crime has not stopped. Uh, it's ongoing, especially certain kinds of crime, whether it be domestic violence is a continued issue. And if somebody's alleged to have violated the domestic violence law, mm-hmm. they will be arrested as part of a mandatory arrest. Mm-hmm. A lot of the police departments, what we've seen, our arraignments have gone down countywide because of the fact most of the police are not arresting them. Mm-hmm. But they're going to get summons returnables to show up in court at a, mm-hmm. at a different date. And usually the dates now are extended out into June or July. Is this for like non-violent yeah, crimes? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, there, people are still getting arrested. Like in, our, in the urban section of our community, we continue, unfortunately, to make arrests mm-hmm. with a drug arrest, fentanyl arrest, yeah. guns with gun arrests. Those individuals are going through the normal process. However, when they get arraigned, it usually is video or telephone. Mm-hmm. And so they get arraigned. The arraignment is your first time going to court where you're notified of the charges against you. And the plea document is entered automatically in your bed. <laughs> At that time, my office, somebody from my office, when the assistant DAs, mm-hmm. uh, will make an argument if necessary for the plea. In other words, an amount of money that has to be put to make sure that person is going to show up. And also make sure that person may, not, may be a risk to the community. And so you look at the totality of the circumstances. We make our bail review. That person will have a defense attorney. That person will argue on behalf of the defendant. Mm-hmm. And then the judge will make the determination as to whether it's going to be bail, whether it's not going to be bail, whether it's going to be an amount of bail, whether it's mm-hmm. going to be GPS. Mm-hmm. And if they are held in an amount of bail that they cannot make, for whatever the reason may be, they will then be held down at the, if they're men, they'll be held down to Plymouth County House Correction in the dependency of that case. Mm-hmm. And eventually, you know, as we see our numbers go down, uh, I, I anticipate that we're going to continue to see that happen. Police are trying to do the right thing and not making a lot of arrests that they don't have to. And they do have non-violent offenses to give tickets to one man on fraction of things. Mm-hmm. But they're still doing their job and, and doing what they can because, you know, we still continue to live in a world where people are trying to take advantage of the COVID-19. So not only do we have to make sure that uh, people are safe from the disease, mm-hmm. we have to make sure that people are safe from the people who will use it as an advantage to either try to get out of jail or try to get your money or your information, whatever it may be. It's a shame that people have to take advantage of people during these times, but you see it happening over and over. And you know, we talked last time about some of the scams that are going on, and we'll talk a little bit more about that as well. I know I did see... Um, I think on the news, I mean, there was that terrible murder that happened, you know, with that doctor. And I don't even understand why he was, yeah, in Dover, why he was actually still a doctor after he did that, you know, a fraud to Medicare or whatever it was. But, you know, one of the things I saw was that they can do, like, the, the judge is now doing things like tele, like, you know, through, like, oh, Zoom and, right. yeah, through Zoom. Right. And I thought it was interesting. Wouldn't that be easier for everybody just to continue to do that? Like you, now you have to travel, you, know, you have to get them secured in a van to get them to these different locations, these different courthouses. 
get them in there. To me, that's just like a Sunday yeah. drive. Like yeah. keep them yeah. in the cell and bring in a screen. You're a very sharp lady. Uh, <laughs> I have to say. And, and that is an argument that countless individuals in the criminal justice system have made. The courts have wanted us to do that. The DAs are, are amenable to that. Certainly it saves us huge amounts of traveling and security. Uh, what has been the pushback traditionally though has been the defense bar. And they want to have the time with their clients in court face to face. So we continue, you know, for the most part to drive where I can't tell you how many miles, but it's gotta be millions of miles a year that we do because we, we go to all the courts in the Commonwealth. It's not, um, it's not unusual, but I think we're seeing now that uh, th maybe one part of the silver line perhaps is that we understand and now we see that doing things by video conference is not the end of the world. It is it is and can be very effective. So maybe this is going to be one of those things where it's a new norm, right? I mean, how do you feel it about it? I, mean, I, I absolutely agree for the arraignments and for a lot of pre-trial motions and things that go on. However, for trials themselves, uh, we're, we're going to, grand jury proceedings or regular jury proceedings, we're going to have to have People have the right via our Constitution, the U.S., uh, our Declaration of Rights, the U.S. Constitution, to confront the people against them. And we also have open courtrooms. And what I would be concerned about if we were trying cases and mm -hmm. people were, jurors were zooming in, uh, yeah. is that mm -hmm. all of a sudden, how do I know people aren't listening? Yeah. Yeah. How do I know for grand jury purposes things are secret? So virtual trials, I'm 100% against. Yeah. However, in order to minimize the transportation and, and minimize the security, I agree with the sheriff, and, you know, it, we should be doing more of that. And mm -hmm. he's right. Uh, we have uh, lots of individuals who want to, their clients to be brought from the jail to Brockton. That's usually with the, Brock, the bail reviews we usually done in Brockton Superior Court. Not, you know, you would think we do most of them from the Plymouth County Jail to the Plymouth Superior Court. Mm -hmm. It's about a quarter of a mile. Yeah. But instead, then we're doing a lot of traveling to Brockton Superior Court and the jail. I mean, the building itself is about 125 years old, and the jails are very inadequate yeah. for a lot of the things that go on in the system. And how many people does it take to transport one, per, like one, like what is that process? I mean, it, do you have to have two people, like one driving a van and one ready to? Well, we do. We have two um, corrections officers who are also deputy sheriffs, which means they're trained as corrections officers but they're also trained as police. They have been to police academies as well. Okay. So there's two of those per van and the vans can accommodate uh, probably up to six or eight people comfortably. So they, they can transport large numbers, but where it gets really difficult is you, a, a lot of these individuals, they may have a case as Tim says in Brockton, but then they've got a case you know, somewhere out in Worcester County or okay. somewhere out in Middlesex County or Essex County. So that can get really challenging. And the nice thing that, that our guys are able to do, and not just us in Plymouth, but all the sheriffs, we, we work together on this. So sometimes we end up getting uh, that individual to a court in Central Mass, and then the Central Mass guys will take him and take him all the way to Western Mass if need be. Uh -huh. So it's a dynamic system. That's the difference a lot of times between the Department of Corrections and us. We're a dynamic population. They're a static population. Yeah, it gets very congested too. When you talk about the volume of people bringing inmates or people who are being held to a court system. So if you're talking Middlesex is bringing somebody to Brockton, yeah. Plymouth is bringing somebody to Brockton, Norfolk's bringing somebody to Brockton, somebody's coming from Wallace, uh, Junction. Mm -hmm. Uh, a female may be in custody and the females are held at Framingham or South Bay. Mm -hmm. So they're coming in separate times and you're always seeing different dichotomies of people coming. You're always seeing deputy sheriffs 
wandering from getting people off. They'll be there. They'll be inside the jail cells. They'll be waiting for the attorney mm-hmm. for that person to get rotated to get their case call and put them back where they belong. Mm-hmm. Which only proves that that's not opening anytime soon. Look at all the transferring you're doing. So you're yeah. you're right now. I would say like you're running a clean a clean place, right? Yeah. You have a clean cells. You you want to keep it that way. So right. if you're going to be transferring people that are coming from other places that maybe have it, now you're potentially contaminating. You know, your guys. How am I doing to my specialists up there to the deputy chief, the chief, uh, acting chief, and board of health? Right? Didn't, that makes sense, right? You don't want to be you know cross contaminating. Yeah. No, you you always want to limit travel whenever you're talking about an infectious disease, and that's why many countries, of course, immediately, you know, controlled borders and everything else. Obviously, once you're within a, a certain country, um, that's more difficult to do. But um, the more you move populations, any population, it, it it doesn't matter why the population is isolated. But when you take an isolated you know, population, whether it's a nursing home or incarceration or any other reason why a population might be isolated. When, when you move those individuals around, every point of contact is another point of contamination. Mm-hmm. And we have a couple of questions, actually. So yeah, Lisa, yeah. Um, not Lisa, Melissa actually has a couple of people calling in or texting us from yeah. Facebook. Yeah. Um, so uh, a couple of questions for you guys. So uh, I noticed that there was something on here um, about Brockton and I Mary likes to listen to crime uh, podcasts. Podcast. I, like, I like to read a lot about uh, crime. So I was I read an article the other day, um, I think it was in the Enterprise, about how um, the crime has increased, especially in Brockton. Um, so somebody is asking, um, you know, with not being able to come in close contact with a lot of people, are there still raids or warrants, sweeps going on still, not just in Brockton, but really all over Plymouth County? Or is, is those sort of... It is not back, or yeah, it's, not, it's not unusual. I mean, I mean, well, that, w- without giving away too much, every year at certain times of the year, we'll do uh, all different law enforcement agencies, whether they be the the, de- the sheriff, the deputy sheriff, would make sure the state police and all the local police also uh-huh. that are also working, in, usually in the urban community of Rock. Uh-huh. And they will go out and make arrests in mass of individuals who have committed crime on prior dates. Uh-huh. And during the course of this sweep, they will be picked up. And generally speaking, lots of times it's drugs and guns uh-huh. and trafficking and certain uh, drugs that are out there. And the sweeps have been there. They've been incredibly effective. Quite honestly, we used to do it uh, right before the Brockton Fair every uh-huh. year. Uh-huh. And like I always say, these guys must not read the Enterprise. <laughs> yeah. We do it every year yeah. right for the Brockton Fair. And, and what you see is a result of that the numbers go down. Because the individuals who would go there and create havoc, individuals who would go there and maybe uh, give you a hard time or try and do some crime in the vicinity, uh, they're not there because they're off the streets. So they, we continue to do that uh, and we'll continue to do that mm-hmm. because I find that to be effective in order to try and keep them on their toes mm-hmm. and also let them know that you know, law enforcement's out there and that uh, we can get guns and drugs off the street. And when you look at our numbers in the city, in our only city here in the town, uh, the Brooklyn numbers are down overall for the last couple of years, mm-hmm. including our homicides and our shootings. And we know that because of the fact that we've gotten grants, we have shot squad, which is a machine that triangles where the shots come from. We know exactly mm-hmm. where the shots are coming from, when they're coming from, and they automatically notify the police department so that you know, we have an idea and we can quantify the number of shots that are up there. We can also go to the scene that maybe they normally wouldn't go to because they didn't know. They'll pick up shell casings, and that's when you talk about BCI, you talk about a lot of the, the other groups here. We want to find out the shell cases. We want to know where the guns come from. Because mm-hmm. We're watching guns. Yeah. The shells are the same in Brockton. Are they the same in Dorchester and Boston? Mm-hmm. There is a connection from Boston down to our urban community. 
So when we're trying to tie guns up, the amount of information you can extrapolate from those things is incredible. And they're doing a lot of like past the pat, pat, what is it, class to Paris footprint? How's that for? That's how you learn. Yeah. <laughs> the Paris footprint. I had to do it in a shoebox. <laughs> yep, that and tire impressions. You know, you get the tread of the tire. You know so Mary, Mary gets to work with Josh, and then I get to work with the district attorney's office, and you get to work in the sheriff's department. Excellent. So, yeah, we just quit real estate. <laughs> <laughs> that's it, folks. Bye. That's all we got. So, do we have another question yeah, from yeah, somebody? Yeah, we have another question. So, um, somebody's asking about. Um, have you guys seen an increase in domestic violence calls or, you know, having to go out because everybody's home and, you know, everybody's frustrated, yeah, you know, I mean, not being able to leave their house and not being able to work. Yeah, I think that, you know, you have the, the insecurities of the world that are going on right now, whether they be getting food or mm -hmm. sick, uh, job insecurity right now, I think there can only, plus with the, mm -hmm. the, the isolation. It's created issues, uh, and it certainly has mm -hmm. kept domestic violence cases up, and they have not gone down any. Uh, and that is also in conjunction, and maybe unfortunately, maybe hand to hand with, with child abuse. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't anticipate those cases going down, notwithstanding the fact that you know we've seen our our calls go down uh, from the mandated reporters because of the situation where we're at. Mm -hmm. So domestic violence, still, and I would say to anybody that may be watching uh, this show or listening to this show. Please, if you are in a dire emergency situation, first and foremost, call 911. Mm -hmm. Second of all, uh, there are, there's hope out there, there's help out there. There are groups out there to help women and their children to escape individuals who may be violent to them. Mm -hmm. Please reach out and if you need help to get information, PlymouthDA.com uh, has all the numbers that you need. I know the Sheriff's Department also has all the numbers that anybody needs in order to get the help that they can and get removed from a dangerous situation. The last thing we want to see is a situation like happened over in Dover yeah. or what happened in Wareham a month or so ago. Uh, you constantly will see these situations in lots of times. Weymouth, they had one in Weymouth yesterday Weymouth. the day before. Yeah. Yeah. Someone got killed or was it? Yeah, son killed the father in Weymouth. Oh, yeah. you yeah, see. So one of the other things, too, on that same note, I think, um, and again, I just want to give kudos to your assistants. I don't know what exactly mm -hmm. what their positions are, and I forget who belongs to who, but they were they collaborated so well together, mm -hmm. and it was so patient because we've had actually a crazy week ourselves, and they were they were just really really great. And I know I believe I, I believe it was yours, Joe, that you were Karen. Yeah, I think it was. She called me like I think like Friday night on her way home, you know. So they're Karen's they're great. amazing. She's amazing. They are wonderful, yeah. wonderful, wonderful. So um, it's really important that you guys have those people. But I know one thing that she told me was the safety assurance program that you have in the sheriff's yes. department. Yeah, I'm glad she told you to mention yeah. that. Yeah. So we watched the video today on how that all works and everything, um, and I'll let you explain it. But I, sure. I was curious. It did say that that program checks on the elderly or those who are living alone. Could it be something that's also utilized? Like if I was a woman and was afraid of maybe domestic abuse or something that I could be added to that list if I wanted to, or is Absolutely, it just for elderly? Yeah. Okay. No, it's for anybody that wants to. I mean, I, I tell people, I think the elderly are the ones who we most often think of when you think of a program like that. Yeah. And you know what it, it used to be called, are you okay? Uh -huh. And that was a, a copyrighted thing. And, the equipment's been upgraded and it's, you know, a different vendor now that, that has mm -hmm. that. So we're not able to use that. So it's now known as safety assurance, but it's the same program. And what it allows people to do is it's an automated thing at first. We have a communication center mm -hmm. down at the sheriff's office as well. 
And uh, it, it, there are automated phone calls that people choose a time. Uh, you know, I, I thought it, you know, when I first came in, maybe I'd have a call to Tim at 4 a.m., but, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but you choose your own time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and what it'll do is basically, if you're all right, just, you know, press a button on the phone. One. If you need uh, assistance, you can press another button. Three. Or if, yeah, very good. Yeah, you've, you've called I in. So, Next one's five. <laughs> so if, but, but, you know, I think the big concern for us can oftentimes be if there's no response. And then, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I don't want you to call 911. And so that's not how it works. What ends up happening is you've already given us instructions. If, if you don't answer the phone or you request assistance, someone live, one of the com- communications officers will call you and ask you, okay, what's the situation? What do you need? Mm-hmm. And the response will be commensurate with what your needs are. If for some reason we can't get anybody, we don't, you know, call send, NORAD and send, yeah, send, send everyone. Yeah, we don't, we don't do that. What, what we'll do is, you know, most times people will say, well, my nephew lives across the street and call him and he'll come over and see. And thankfully, most of the time when people don't answer, it just means that they went on vacation and forgot to tell us or they had an early golf game or they've gone fishing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but in certain situations, you know, they have had, uh, we've had saves where people have been in need and not able to answer the phone. And, mm-hmm. and we're very glad that, you know, they've availed themselves. Service is totally free. Mm-hmm. All they need to do is call our office or, you know, go on our website and they can get information mm-hmm. to, uh, to sign up for that. So that's a great program. Any age, uh, some people, you know, you may not need it for a long period of time. Maybe mm-hmm. you need it while you're convalescing from a surgery or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Or, well, I think uh, right now it's such a great time to know about that. And I think that Karen was great to, you know, tell me about it because if you are having symptoms of COVID and you are alone and there isn't anybody checking in on you, at least you have that security of knowing, Hey, I do need some help. Um, One of my questions about it was, um, can it be on your cell phone or does it have to be on a landline? I don't even know if you know the answer to that. I think, well, traditionally it's been on a landline, but I think a lot of people now are doing away with landlines. Yeah. And having only cell phones. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm going to imagine that you could do it on a cell phone as well. You know, we have another program that um, uh, the Code Red, which, you know, allows us to broadcast messages to yes. different areas. Mm-hmm. And we're finding that as a lot of people were giving up those landlines, they couldn't receive those calls. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes they'll have a, a an area code which doesn't geographically match where they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if there's road closures in Pembroke, you don't care what's happening in Mattapoisa, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we need to, know, you know, you can let us know and and hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, I, I'm, I'm positive there's a workaround for that. Yeah. And who um, who is making these calls? Are there the officers in the in the station or are they can they be volunteers? Like who who are who's making these calls that are on okay? The well, the initial call is is done by machine, it's computerized, Mm -hmm. but we have uh, communications, we have a communication center down there Mm -hmm. that does dispatching for us, but also mutual aid uh, for fire when there's big incidents that are taking place. They do a lot of stuff down there. Mm -hmm. So there's uh, communications officers who would physically go in there and make those follow-ups on the the calls that -hmm. that require that type of thing. So it's a person you talk to. Yeah, so if you press the, what's it, three? One. Well, if you press one, you're okay. And three, you need to speak to somebody. So if you press three, you're connected with a live person. Right, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that uh, historically, Tim and I do these presentations, we do these senior luncheons. And a lot of times the seniors, oh, I don't want to bother anybody. I really don't need that. So what I say to those folks is this, look, don't do it for you. 
Do okay? it for me. Because you don't need it, but do it for your, your children or your grandchildren who are worried. Yeah. This mm-hmm. is, in one fell swoop, you can tell them, you don't, don't worry about this. Mm-hmm. And uh, and a lot of people are like, oh, well, that's I, I'm not doing it for me. I'll do it for them. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a great idea, whether you're a senior or anybody, or as you correctly point out, I think somebody in a tenuous domestic situation yeah. could definitely use that as well. Well, uh, you know, if somebody's home, and especially if they're home now, and let's just, I'm, I'm going to be honest because I don't know how to be anything else, and I just sort of say it, and I wonder when WATD is going to kick me off the air, but... <laughs> But you know what? If you're home and you're in the domestic situation, you basically know when that person's going to be a jack, right? right? So maybe you say, okay, I want my phone call to be at 7 o'clock at night. You know what I mean? Or can you do it that late? I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's normally an early type of thing. But, okay. I, I, you know, that's something that if we can't do, we should probably look at. Yeah. yeah. So then I would know, especially if it was on my cell phone. Yeah and I was in that situation, I think it would give me the opportunity to just not let the Jack know, um, you know, where I'm not fully saying the name and just press the button, you know? So, but one of the other things and we're always about giving value here, again, you're listening to talk real estate has nothing to do with real estate. We're all on this COVID thing and how it's uh, impacting all different departments and everything. And one thing I love is Sometimes somebody will say something and it prompts me some something else. But what you said, Joe, too, was about the phone numbers. And I remember talking to Ken um, when we were, do you remember, Ken, when we were over on Crusade um, Street with the 911 situation, if we pressed, because our phones are through the internet. So the phones, like if we pushed 911, it wasn't going to go anywhere. So mm. we had to go in. I didn't realize that. So we had to go in the back end of all of our phones and we had to change everything. And that was one of the very first things I did when we purchased this building. So people know that if you do do, um, you know, internet phones, you can now have it. So it it locates where your property is. Do you, Ken, are you seeing any situations like with people not having the landlines and what happens when they push 911 from a cell phone? Is that going to the state police? Well, cell phones used to go to the state police. I think some still do, but some go to Duxbury. Uh, and some may actually go to the sheriff's department. I'm not 100% sure where they all go. But it, it's not a direct line to the town that you're looking for mm-hmm. because it has to ping off cell towers. So if you're in Pembroke and you use your cell phone to call 911 to get us or the police, it's not going to us or the police. It's going to go somewhere first and reroute to us. But we'll eventually get you. It will. It will eventually. <laughs> That's why you need a cell phone. phone. You should have probably the emergency members to the town that you live in. So you can just hit that number and it'll go directly to them. Okay, perfect. Um, were there any other questions on Facebook? Um, yeah, but we do have a couple minutes till we do our 7.30 um, okay. break. But, um, and you sort of touched upon it a little bit um, mm-hmm. with people coming in and out of the prisons. Um, and I think there might be something on here as well from, from you. But um, somebody is asking, you know, are, from, are people from the outside being able to come in for self-help meetings, such as NA and NA, or NA and AA, you know, with with that, like, I know that in some prisons, you know, you can have those types of meetings and sort of do, like, self-helps like that. Are they just being run by people who are in the prison, or can somebody sort of do that from the outside? Under normal circumstances, we have a tremendous number of volunteers that come in to do those types of things. Mm-hmm. We've, since this whole situation began we have we stopped that mm-hmm. completely all mm-hmm. the volunteers uh, for everybody's safety um, the short answer to that is those things are still possible and programming is still going on because we have had our program staff but what we've done is we've cut it back so 
let's say, you know, all four of us were program staff people like reentry or whatever we're doing, because people are still getting released as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you may come in for two days and then you'll come in for the next two days and then you skip a day and then Tim is in mm-hmm. and then I'm in. And then, so that's what we've been rotating. doing. We've been rotating mm-hmm. so that people are able to, uh, you know, to, keep up with that stuff but yeah the short answer is programming is still ongoing mm-hmm. and uh still, you know our program staff i gotta give them a lot of credit they are very very dedicated one thing that doesn't get mentioned tim touched upon it uh you know you hear a lot about prison overcrowding mm-hmm. don't believe it mm-hmm. our populations have been decreasing i think probably since i became sheriff mm-hmm. and uh it's 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 generally been a good thing. It's it's due to a lot, and this isn't just in Plymouth County. This is system wide. Uh-huh. So you've seen um, a lot of times. I think what's responsible for this. I'm hoping that you know our rehabilitated programming is doing good, but also a lot of the specialty courts. You've mm-hmm. got the drug courts, the veterans courts, mm-hmm. and when this whole thing began and they started the 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 hue and cry to release everybody, they well we should release all of the low level nonviolent offenders, and I said great, but we've already done that. Yeah. Because those people don't come to jail anymore. Yeah. You know, it's 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 one of those things. So we're we're still continuing those things. People are still getting released, and that's something that our people put a tremendous amount of effort in. Because if someone presents and they've got all issues, and they really there'll be drug issues, alcohol issues, domestic violence, mm-hmm. we need to have a great plan in place for when they get out. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they're just going to come right back to us. Mm-hmm. So we're looking for where are they going to live because sometimes and a lot of times they can't go back to families. Mm-hmm. What's Who's going to be their doctor when they're out there? You know, We've mm-hmm. got to get them involved in that. Any programming that they're going to be? Are there halfway houses, beds available, things like that? So mm-hmm. a lot of work goes into that and that's still ongoing. There, there are these groups like we, we, the, the people to believe that the jails are so crowded and they're dealing with mass incarceration here and people are doing being held on marijuana charges, which isn't even a crime anymore. Mm-hmm. And nothing can be filed from the truth. Mm-hmm. Massachusetts is 50 out of 50 mm-hmm. of the states for incarceration purposes. We're not down south where there very well maybe some significant issues going on down there, overcrowding and things like that. Mm-hmm. We're 50 out of 50. You have sheriff's departments like Joe's and others across the Commonwealth who have great programming. I agree. I think it's a totality of the circumstances. Mm-hmm. But make no mistake about it. There are people in our community, there are people in our society who have to be off the streets. They have to be. And these groups that are out there that are promoting de-incarceration, these, the alleged progressive groups or whatever you want to call them, uh, they, they don't have their facts right. Mm-hmm. They're pushing out other facts that are not correct. And if we did what they wanted and released murderers and rapists and child molesters and armed career criminals and fentanyl traffickers and people mm-hmm. who carry guns and hurt people and break into homes, we would be a lot <laughs> yeah. less safe. Yeah. And that's part of my job and part of the sheriff's job to make mm-hmm. sure that we do our best to make sure we keep everybody safe. Yeah. And then I want to stay on this topic, so we're just going to skip through that one. Okay, so that next break, because I can do that, right? Mm-hmm. You can do whatever you want, Sharon. That's the name of the game. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Because one of the things that I had read or I had seen on TV is that a thousand prisoners um have our inmates i don't know what do we call them prisoners inmates what's the politically correct thing well you know it depends on what their status is if um if they're they're with us they're they're inmates if they're serving sentences if if they're haven't been convicted yet they're pretrial detainees okay um so I could just call them prisoners. You can just say, yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. prisoners. Yeah. Or prisoners, yeah. yeah. So I had read or heard that there was a thousand um, inmates or whatever that were released. 
And one of the things that sort of surprised me was the judge. It was a judge that was being interviewed. Mm -hmm. And she said, but overall, only 16 of them have reoffended. And I'm thinking in my head, well, only 16? Because I don't care if it was only one, if you did it to me or one of my loved ones. You know what I mean? So I, I just found it just very sort of, I don't know. What, what's, what's the where word did, I'm looking where for? Where did they say that these inmates were? They were in Massachusetts. Oh, yeah. They, yeah. They you know, the sheriffs were wanting to, um, to track this data. And I think it would be worthwhile. But it's very difficult to track because once they're gone, mm -hmm. we don't necessarily know what's happening. And a lot of them are reoffending. Um, we've also got many of them that are going out because we're not releasing them uh, appropriately, you know, mm -hmm. with, with aftercare or anything. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are going homeless. out and, and they're homeless. They're going out and overdosing on drugs. Mm -hmm. uh, what my, my colleague out in Hampshire County, he received a phone call from Connecticut and uh, because an inmate who had overdosed and died used that correctional facility as his last known address. Oh. So, but, you know, make no mistake, you may have heard... Uh, Tim and I had talked about this. There was a gentleman who stole a car in Plimpton and led the police on a high-speed chase and uh, <laughs> eventually drove that into the harbor in Plymouth and then came out and started fighting with the police officers down there. He had been released as uh, as one of the COVID releases as well. That and, day. <laughs> well, no, it had actually yeah. been some period of you know weeks yeah. beforehand. But uh, I'm going to look at my phone here because the sheriffs were circulating. Um, there was a sheriff out in California, Fresno. I think. Right. Yeah, and the, the 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 headline was priceless. On the money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, it, it just goes to show you that you know the, the you know this we, we look at all of our cases, mm -hmm. all the new cases coming in, all the potential individuals who may have some significant health issues, right. and therefore maybe they are, are mm -hmm. being held on a non-violent offense. Maybe they just don't show up in court, yeah. which is another whole issue. Mm -hmm. you know, people need to understand when somebody doesn't show up in court, it sets all sorts of problems going on with the smoothness of the court system. Mm -hmm. We're dealing with victims, and unfortunately, we're dealing with groups who continue to treat uh, defendants or prisoners or inmates or pretrial detainees. They treat them as if, and the victims become invisible. If I was in there, I, I wouldn't want to come out. I'd yeah. feel safer there. I, f I found the uh, <laughs> Fresno County Sheriff. Fresno County Sheriff Mims says she is not enforcing stay-at-home orders. Too busy trying to rearrest freed criminals. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. And, and I sent out, the sheriff said circulated that. And my response to that was, you know, a shorter, perhaps more concise headline could read, I told you so. Yeah. And, I made a mistake. Yeah. yeah. Well, it doesn't take a genius to, to realize that, you know, this, this could be a problem. So when you see those signs, free them all. The, the good news is, you know, we got sued. The DAs got sued. We all ended up in front of the Supreme Judicial Court. And they issued an order, which is, no, we're not going to free everybody because of, you yeah. know, the sky is falling. We're going to do this in a reasoned contemplative manner and you know defense counsel can file a motion the da's office can oppose that motion and a judge is going to make a decision and i was personally very comfortable in knowing that tim and his staff were going to be there to fight for the ones that you know really shouldn't like, be released this is the rules like you you committed a crime you're in prison and we're taking care of you and we're responsible for you so like i don't understand to free them all but one thing i wanted to say 
sorry, and I, I'm going to let you talk in a sec. Um, if you, for all our WATD listeners, if you have any questions as well, please call the studio. Uh, ben is there, so you can ask questions. 781-837-4900. 781-837-4900. Again, uh, you're listening to Talk Real Estate. Nothing about real estate, um, except for the housing over at uh, the Plymouth, Plymouth County uh, yeah. Jail, right? Um, but we have um, Sheriff uh, Joe McDonald with us tonight, and we also have uh, the District Attorney Tim Cruz with us. Uh, just a very, very interesting conversation because I'm having a hard time wrapping my hands around anybody having the time to stand out in front of a jail to say free them all. I just don't get it. Like, I, I can't. Yeah, and you know, they're reasonably intelligent people, yeah. you know, the ones that I've spoken to. And I, I think it's easy to make those types of assertions. You know, Tim correctly points out that many of those folks are going back. They're not going back to the neighborhoods that these people are coming from, the, yeah. the activists. And I think I'd like to get them to think about that. Say, look, these people are going back to neighborhoods where there are other law-abiding people who are going to be terrorized by these folks. Mm -hmm. You're not. Yeah. You know, I think I just wish the activists would think things through before they do things. They a lot of times are, um, you know, we there's a, a I think it's called the Massachusetts Bail Project. And sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, they do a, a good thing and they post somebody's bail. But I can't tell you how often I hear from the guys in our booking department, you know, that the inmates, you know, hey, you're out. Someone posted you. Well, where am I going to go? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know, but you can't stay here. Yeah, that, that's what I would be like. I'd be like... So somebody, go. you know, they raised this money and they thought this was, they did a favor for this guy and now he's got nowhere to go. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, think, just think about these yeah. things. Well, I had a question about um, releasing. So, okay, so these inmates have been released, but if it's not because of overcrowding, why are they being released? Is it because of the pandemic or no, what? The, the, the Supreme Judicial Court made a determination when we got, when everybody gets sued, uh, and the ACLU, Community Public Counsel Service, uh, MAC, the Mass Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers, Prison and Legal Right Groups wanted everybody released. And they all had different little mm -hmm. versions of it, but they all basically wanted to decarcerate everyone and get them out. So we, we had here, we opposed that. All the sheriffs opposed it, seven of the DAs, elected DAs opposed it. And eventually they came up with a determination, you know, that uh, we're going to have individualized hearings. That's what we do every day anyway. We have bail hearings. That's what we do. Mm -hmm. you, you can't say if you are 50 plus mm -hmm. and you're charged with, quote unquote, a nonviolent offense, we're going to release you. And like the sheriff said, first and foremost, in Massachusetts, mm -hmm. you have to earn your way into jail. Yeah. People are not being put in there for their first time, their second mm -hmm. time, their third time. And when you are dealing with individuals who really, uh, they've already shown that they're not going to comply with the law. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to also comply with their ability to show up in court. Mm -hmm. They just don't look at somebody's record. And people say, oh, you shouldn't look at the history. Well, that is the best prognosticator of what they're going to do in the future. Mm -hmm. Somebody hasn't shown up 20 times. Mm -hmm. We'll make that pitch to the judge and say, listen, this guy's not going to show up next time. We're going to spend money and bring costs. You're going to get them here. Inconvenience them. And then we're going to have to go out and get these individuals back. We're going to have to send the sheriff's team out, the violent fugitive apprehension team. And crazy and terrible things happen when that happens. And, you know, police officers, correction officers, they can get hurt. They've been shot at. They've been killed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, at the end of the day, we want to keep everybody safe. Mm -hmm. And the best way to do that is for people to understand there are some individuals, and just really 300 or so from Plymouth County down the jail. Think of that. We're 515,000 people in mm -hmm. Plymouth County. Yeah. And we have 300 or so, more or less, because Joe also has federal inmates down there, that maintain that 600 people. Mm -hmm. A mm -hmm. handful of people are being held down there. 
And I think that that just goes to show you what a great job that's been going on here in the Commonwealth. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of the, the, the groups that want to know what the sheriff said, not only do they not know where they're going to go, they don't really care. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really a lack of knowledge in a lot of these groups. They think that they're doing the right thing, mm-hmm. uh, and they haven't quite honestly been the real world. Yeah. And the real world is out there, and it's a, it's a dangerous place. Mm-hmm. And you need to have people like the sheriff, you need to have people like our police chiefs, we need to have people there that are willing to stand there and say, you know what, we have a job to do. We have rights that are out there that we'll make sure they, mm-hmm. they, they're, they're taken care of. And we're going to do our job to keep people safe. And look how hard you had to work to get them there in the first place. You know, so if you're saying they're not going there for the first time, the second time, the third time, so now here we are, the fourth time around that they're, you know, they're you know, having whatever whatever they're doing. I don't even know what, crime. whatever their crime is. So think about the police that are involved in that and then to you and then to the judges and then to you. You, you know what I mean? There's so many people involved and then you know, people are just like, oh, okay, now we're going to take federal money, I would guess, and state money to now sue the people who are working hard to get the criminals behind bars. I don't get it. And, and you know, and at the sheriff, also, we have so many specialty courts now for people with, let's face it, a lot of people who, I want to make sure the people who are trafficking in fentanyl, and parafentanyl, and heroin, and opiates, the traf- the people who are making money in the backs of the people, our loved ones who are dying mm-hmm. in our community, I want to make sure that they're helped, mm-hmm. not the users. We have drug courts to help people yeah. the users. We use drugs in order to help their have five, five hits and they'll move things along. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I just, we're not throwing people in jail for the heck of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 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 too serious a situation because most of the people, something like 98 or 99% of the people that are with the sheriff down there are going to be released at some point. Mm-hmm. That's why the programs that he has, the anger management issues, education mm-hmm. issues, the, the drug issues, all those programs are helping these men come back into the real world and say, you know what, uh, those days are behind me and they don't want to recidivate and come back and we don't want them to come back. Yeah, and maybe they do just need that second chance. And I think that they have a better chance of learning that when they're with you than they're going to if they get freed. So, and I'm suddenly nervous because you guys get to walk around with guns when you leave here. So now I have all these like people who are probably like, let's go find where she is. <laughs> so if you wouldn't mind having a detail out here for the next couple of weeks, um, that would be great. Yeah, um, we have enough local police that keep an eye on us. <laughs> yes, we do. We actually do. Um, so do you guys have any questions for our our guests up there. I know we time is flying here too, and I want to give Ken and Lisa an opportunity to give us a little update as well. Anybody? Nope. So I was just thinking, and I don't know if you're if you're ready to move on to because we have about 17 minutes left. From a more local perspective, what we can envision for the future, at least what Ken, Lisa, Tim, and Joe, just Joe, just Joe. Just just Joe. Joe. <laughs> I was going to say just John. It got stuck in my head. I don't know why. Um, just, just Joe, how you guys are feeling. Like, what does the future look like in the sense of reopening, uh, people abiding by the rules, people getting fined for not abiding by the rules? Like, how do we feel like this is going to go? Oh. Curious. <laughs> what, what, things are, what things have been put into place in case? <laughs> look at Ken. I think that Ken is telling it all. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, don't screw it up. We got to wait and see. Um, you know, it, everybody's done a great job so far to get to where we are. 
Mm-hmm. You just got to see it uh, all the way through the home stretch. And I'm not sure that some people can do that, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. How have the calls been for the department for Pembroke? I mean, have your calls been up this week, down this week? What's been going on there? So the, la- the last week and a half, it's it's been up. We're taking uh, we're taking more people to the hospital because they're not afraid to go now mm-hmm. for some unforsaken reason. They were three weeks ago. Now they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, they realize the virus hasn't gone anywhere, right? Yeah, I don't I don't know what it is because the virus is still there. Lisa will tell you it's there and hasn't <laughs> it's really still gone there. anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know what the reason is. People may be comfortable with it. People are getting comfortable with it as we do as a society. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think for the most part we'll be okay. We're just going to have those selected few. So, um, Ken, one of the other things, too, so Joe and Tim were just talking about, you know, the drugs and and things like that. Have you seen any increase in the calls for, you know, like overdoses and things where the fire department is called out? Or have you seen some of that decrease, maybe? Um, In the beginning, it was decreased. We, We haven't seen a lot of overdose calls as of late. I think that has a lot to do with a bunch of other things, you know, not can being more readily available. So they're not telling us, they're not calling us like they used to, mm-hmm. um, which, which is an issue in itself. I mean, I'm happy that they could take care of those issues on their own with that, but it doesn't give you a true account of the number of overdoses that are actually out there now mm-hmm. because Narcan is so prevalent in society. Yeah. Um, but we have seen an increase in other calls, a few a few domestics, mm-hmm. um, which we knew was going to flare up and show its ugly head eventually, you know, with just people being isolated. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, more people want to go to the hospital now because they either feel comfortable or, you know, they're, they're sick because they stayed so long. Mm-hmm. Uh, so our calls have definitely been up. One of the things, too, and I don't know if you're seeing any of this, or maybe you can give some insight into our town, and I know that you're in contact with other local towns as well, so this isn't just about Pembroke, it's all of Plymouth County that we're talking about, and Norfolk and Suffolk and everywhere around. Tim, one of the um, items that I was, I never even thought about it, and Melissa and I were going through the list was, you know, with the teachers, and you have students who, you know, are in school, and maybe the teacher notices a bruise or some type of violence going on in the home. Well, the teachers, what are they called again? The The mandated reporters. So we don't have that. We don't have the daycares. And like, what's going on with the children? I mean, yeah. how do they, they don't know how to call and, and be put on a, uh, on a phone, you know, yeah. list to make sure they're okay. Uh, you know, the, 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 unfortunately it's still there, you know, we have a text back lesson from the Plymouth County uh, uh, CAC, the Child, the Child Advocacy Center, where we have every year in Plymouth County, approximately 1200 kids mm-hmm. who uh, go through that center because they've been victims of neglect or abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we've seen, unfortunately, is that because of the fact that there are no schools right now, other than online, mm-hmm. because of the fact that there's no, most people aren't going to churches if they weren't because of the, also the COVID-19 and routine doctor's visits weren't happening either. Mm-hmm. All those individuals would be a version of a mandated reporter, somebody who saw something, they would say something. So you look at the numbers that we're dealing with child abuse right now, between March 16th and May 1 of 2019, we had approximately 161 reports of 51 A's, which are reports of uh, abuse and neglect. Mm-hmm. During that same time period here in 2020, we've had 60. Mm-hmm. So do I think that we've gone down by two thirds? No, I don't. Mm-hmm. I think that what we have here is, is a result of the fact that the mandated reporters aren't there to do that report, mm-hmm. that uh, a lot of terrible things could be happening. 
So anybody that's out there that may be in a position to uh, see a child, hear from a child, or whatever it may be, Mm-hmm. Please don't hesitate to reach out mm-hmm. because you may be their last hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'm very upset about this right now because like, I just never even thought about it until I read this. And you guys are dealing with such real, real things. Like, you know what I it's mean? It's a like, heavy topic. With children who, who have nobody. And I, I think it's funny to put the title of a mandated reporter on someone who's just a teacher. I would say as an adult... I, I would be that person too. So if I was walking, you know, down an aisle and stop and shop and I, I saw something, I think that my, my response would be, Hey, I, I have to call. Well, I think a lot of people don't want to get involved, but maybe, maybe is that the message? Get well, involved, but don't touch, just call. But you, you, you can be, A, you can be anonymous. Mm-hmm. B, you can also be in a position where if you see something that you should understand, it doesn't mean that DCF, the Department of Children and Families, is going to come and take that child away from their parents immediately. Mm-hmm. Most times they would come and offer services. Uh, if they're not somebody that they know who they are, uh, mm-hmm. you know, unless they have a history of things. So that's the other, that could be, if somebody is going to be yanking their kid by the arm with shots or mm-hmm. stopping yeah. shots, yeah. what are they doing at home? Mm-hmm. And, and, and if you see a poor kid, uh, really, it, it's because what, what I would like to see happen at some point is we deal with people right now, the cycles of domestic violence, the cycles of child abuse. A lot of the kids who are hurt as children mm-hmm. become perpetrators later on. Mm-hmm. because they don't get the help. And lots of the kids that we deal with at our, at our CAC, we're making sure that they, they get the help that they need so they can be better themselves, mm-hmm. make sure that they get taken away from the people who are hurting them because most people, unfortunately, mm-hmm. these kids aren't being hurt by strangers. Yeah. They're being hurt by people that they know, that they that mm-hmm. they, their parents may know, mm-hmm. and for whatever reason, you know, they're in that situation. How do you remove that child from that dangerous situation, get them the services that they need, mm-hmm. and make sure that maybe, just maybe, you stop these cycles? That's what I was just yeah. going to say. It's all about the cycles. And, you know, I mean, I talk about, you know, I grew up in Dorchester, and, you know, I, I didn't really feel it there when my parents owned the convenience store. Um, you know, it was very much about CYO, and I always say social media started on the doorstep there. But when my parents owned a store in Brockton, um, I saw some some terrible, terrible things that actually just literally broke my heart. And, you know, kids with no shoes on and, you know, stealing, I remember stealing milk and Susie Q's. And it was this young girl, she was maybe like eight years old, and I'm sort of going back a little bit, and she had like her little brothers and sisters with her. There was like four of them total. And I said to my, I let them steal it. And I know I could have taught them a lesson, but I also said, children don't steal milk and Susie Q's, big thick Susie Q's to fill your belly. They would steal gum and candy. So I let them take it. And those things are still happening right now. And I just do think as adults, we we owe that to our younger generation. If we do see something, again, I I didn't think of it until I saw that. Like they're not in school right now, so there isn't anyone to really watch over them. So, um, have you, Lisa and Ken, have you seen anything that like, you know, have you gotten calls like that maybe situations or, I mean, Lisa, I mean, you're board of health, so you're seeing all kinds of things. I mean, you're being called into houses that sometimes have to be condemned and things like that. So situations like that where you do sort of step in. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Frequently. Um, it, it, it goes hand in hand when you go into that kind of scenario, but just to touch on the, the kids at home, I have to give a lot of kudos to the school department they've done an awesome job still having pickup lunches and things like that and unfortunately there there is often a parallel um between people and families that require additional services 
having other uh, abuse and uh, management issues. Um, unfortunately and unfairly, those two things seem to fall hand in hand. So I know that, um, yes, these kids are at home, but they're not without contact outside their home. Um, that the school department is maintaining contact as much as they can with as many families as they can. Um, certainly nothing like being at school, but um, the, the isolation isn't as total as we might imagine it is. But yes, you know, when, you, when you're drawn into a situation, um, whether it's a medical or um, unfortunately a legal um, police interaction, you know, there, there is that um, aspect that comes out. But the, the good thing about that is that it does come out. And um, it, there's a running joke or, or an old adage, if you would, that you, you can't fix anything that no one knows is broken. Um, you can't fix the things that no one knows there's a problem. So it's better that it's out there and, and for all the frustrations or whatever a family might feel, it, it's having that stuff exposed that that allows it to be, you know, repaired or aided, um, depending on what the situation is. And that's, I think, one of the things is finances. You know, you tend to see like we're going to see more divorces and things like that. And finances, you know, the struggle is real. And for people who are already sort of struggling, I think that it's going to be a little more real for them. So yeah, um, it's. I agree really, really unfortunate situations. Um, but hopefully, I mean, we try to keep everything positive too, that they can get some help. So um, unfortunately, I don't think little kids right now are listening to WATD, but I just think the messages to the adults, if we do see something, um, we only have five minutes left. I can't believe it. Yeah. Lisa, I just have a question. So when all of this is over, I'm planning on having a pool party <laughs> at my house. Okay. And I'm inviting all of our guests but tonight, for some reason, I'm just really emotional about the guests that we have and you guys being here. And every week it gets more and more emotional for me. When am I allowed to hug these guys in you? <laughs> when does that happen? <laughs> well, you know, we, we don't know. And I, and I think that's the hardest part about all of this. If, if we could have said at the outset, we need everyone to be apart for X number of days. And when X number of days is over, it's over. And, and the problem with this, what, what makes it so hard, what makes it so stressful, and I've, I've said this to a lot of people this week, and I'm going to say it to you. It's okay to be mad. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to feel like it isn't fair. It, it's okay to be be depressed. It's okay to be sad. It's, it's okay to be all of these things. And, and it would be so much easier if we could just say, on this date, it's going to be okay. And the reality is I can't say that to you. I can't say that to you as a health professional. I can't say that to you as a scientist because we're still learning what this virus does, what it's capable of. We have no idea of its longevity, its ability to bounce back or mutate or adapt. There's just too many unknowns. And so what I do try to remind people is, you know, that, that we as a species have a pretty good track record of surviving these things. We have to look ahead. We have to be optimistic um, and know that it will come to an end. So, Sharon, I don't know is, is the short answer. I don't know when we're going to all be able to hang out together and, and hug and have some of those more normal interactions. Well, we will be able to do that again, right? But it will, but it will, that's I the like whole point. It will and happen. People. <laughs> yeah. It will happen. But one of the things that you were saying too is, and I do feel like this is one of those, you know, when we're talking about like the AA meetings and stuff. And one of the things I did want to point out is I'm probably assuming you can do that virtually too with the AA meetings yes. and stuff in the, in the prisons. Yes. Uh, 
but like those cycles that you go through, you know, when it's with anything like a loss, like you get that, you know, that stage yep. of upset and then angry and then all these different levels. And I've seen myself go through them, you know? Yes. Um, so I, I just think that it is something that we have to get through. Yep. And do you have some, I'm going to let you have your final thoughts for your final minutes and maybe some phone numbers that people can get in touch with you. So just so, Joe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we can't wait for our tour, by the way. No, no, I'm looking forward to uh, to showing you around. I think you'll be impressed and, mm -hmm. you know, give us something else to talk about when we come back. I have all kinds of great ideas. Just put me in a think tank. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, a lot of times the best ideas do come from from outside. You know, that's a great, uh, great yeah. way to look at it. But, you know, you know, the programs continue. The people, I think the most important thing that I want people to understand, and yet this is the activists included, people in the jail are safe. Mm -hmm. And it's my job and the job of the staff there, and they do a great job to keep them safe. Mm -hmm. And we're doing everything that we can to do that. It's been more challenging recently, but we are also providing not just the medical care and the nutrition that they need, but the the anti-violence programs the uh, anti-drug programs mm -hmm. those types of things the spiritual uh things that they need down there so you know we are a little town and uh and i'm optimistic you know i hear repeatedly we're going to get through this i know that we will mm -hmm. i'm an optimist but things at the jail are as good as they could be what um jail was it that was sharing the cup was it, was it one of the prisons where... Yeah, I had heard about that. That was... Uh, I saw that on TV. They were, yeah, was it out west? Yeah, it was out west. And, and what they were trying to do was infect yeah. themselves. Yeah. Because they were under the impression. And I, did, you know, it, it's a logical impression. They watched the news. Oh, yeah. all you need to do is get the virus and you're out. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's it's crazy. Out in more ways than one. Right. Like death. Right, yeah, <laughs> possibly, yeah. So, um, and Tim, what about you? Some final thoughts? And I know you both have some great programs and stuff too. So I, I encourage everybody to go on the website. So there's just a slew of information there. Yeah, no, thanks, Shannon. Yeah, I appreciate the, the opportunity to come to me, especially with Joe. We, we do mm -hmm. lots of things together. Um, and people that don't think understand the really the, 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 the things that we do do. Mm -hmm. and try and prevent crime, try and prevent things, and try to help people really mm -hmm. what it comes down to. So if anybody has any questions, any thoughts, never hesitate to call the DA's office at 508-584-8120. Give it one more time. 508-584-8120. Mm -hmm. Or go on PlymouthDA.com. And there's information there. I know we talk about a lot of things that are very serious, and mm -hmm. we deal with a lot of, you're right, a lot of heavy, heavy things. Uh, but there's a lot of really good people out there who are working and growing in the right direction. You should understand that every single day. There's good people, the sheriff's department, there's good people, the DA's office, the police, the fire, the first responders. Mm -hmm. Every day, you know, they, they may not be in the front page of the newspaper, but we're, we're all better for it. And I'm proud to be working with those men and women, mm -hmm. making sure we can try to keep people safe in our community. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to come. And I just, I'm just so happy. I mean, for us, I just know that, um, again, not anything to do with real estate. I'm just so fortunate. I feel that we've gotten this opportunity to get to know you a little bit better and let our WATD listeners know you a little bit better because it's scary to hear about the sheriff and the DA. And I love how down to earth all of you are. And too, I, I look at Ken and honestly, the three of you really do have very similar personalities. Mm. And, you know, you're all the guys that are at the top of the ladder that are taking care of all of us. And I guess that's why you're in the position you're in because you can be calm, cool, and collective when people like me who are crazy <laughs> are not calm, cool, and collected. So, um, Down to our last 10 seconds, Sharon. Okay. So I thank you very, very much for that. Ken, your final thoughts for the last five seconds here? Don't screw it up. 
Don't screw it up. <laughs> so you can listen to this on TalkRealEstateRoundtable.com. And again, uh, famous words from Ken McCormick, our uh, acting chief in Pembroke. Don't screw it up. We'll be back next week, guys. And we're only on until 730 next week. So-